Everyone has an idea, but is it right? Everyone seems to know what a Christian is, how the Christian life should look, and what kind of place the church should be. But are we even close? What if we could know? What if it looks different than we think? What if what God is building is more than a group of good people, but a community? Join us as we walk through the book of Philippians and see together a beautiful community. Uh, Kids ages three to pre-K can go back. I don't know who's leading this. Oh, Taylor. Great, Taylor. So if any kids ages three to pre-K, if you want to go back there for Holy Cross Kids, I'll have a little special time. So a little bit different on the front end. Uh, because Rick is a teaching elder in our denomination, that's just a fancy word for he's an ordained pastor. You can only have uh, ordained pastors do the Lord's Supper. So I want to give you a front-end notice if you're visiting or mostly for folks who've been with us for a while. We're not going to have communion this morning. I realize it's disappointing, so I just want to let you know up front. The good news is uh, you'll get out a few minutes earlier, and you can enjoy the, the beautiful sunshine. Um, so, you know, good or bad, depending on your opinion. All right. Uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. That's towards the back of the Bible. So you've got Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians, okay? And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back for you. There's some on the back table. It's our gift to you. We'd love uh, for you to have this, so please take one. Uh, The passage is also printed in your bulletins. And I'm not sure if it's on the screen, so if not, uh, you can read along in your bulletins. Okay, Uh, today we continue in Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi. And our passage begins in verses 12 to 13 of chapter 2 with Paul's appeal for his dear friends, his beloved ones, to live a life of obedience in Christ. And he returns to his call for harmony and for unity and for true community in the church that was his primary concern in chapter 1. And if you haven't been here before, we've been working through the book of Philippians. Rick's been walking through that. And so you can listen to those earlier sermons on our website if you want to catch up. Uh, But today, Paul is going to be driving and answering a deep question that we all have from chapter 2. And the question is this. How do we change? How do we change? I mean, this is a human question, right? We all ask this whether we believe the Bible or not. And and if you're visiting with us today and still checking out this God thing, I'm just so glad that you're here. I don't think there's any uh, greater place to, to wrestle with your questions and your doubts than here at Holy Cross. And so, uh, just to make you feel at ease, we all have questions and doubts. And so, you're not like, unlike anybody else, I promise you. But my hope for you in particular is that for the next 30 minutes or so, is that you get a front row seat into what real change looks like. And who is the one who does the work in our changing? You see, Jesus calls his people to live a life of obedience because God is the one who works in us to reorient our hearts away from ourselves. And I know that if you're not a Christian here today, it's probably not what you think of Christians as doing, right? Believe me, we as professing followers of Jesus are not very good at modeling the freedom that the gospel has to offer to others. And most of our lives, if we're honest, tell different stories Maybe it tells a story like this, be better, be like me, follow the rules, and God will like you. But that's not the gospel. 
and it isn't Christian. Now listen, Paul in this uh, section of Philippians, he's, he's making an assumption, and so this is sort of the, the outset that I just need to let you know about if you're checking out this God thing. He assumes that a dependent relationship with Jesus has already occurred, and that the reader of this section in particular is a follower of Christ. And so if that's not true of you, my greatest desire is this, is that you will be enticed from the word of God today to follow Jesus. Flee your independence. Put your trust in him alone. Through his perfect life, through his death on the cross for your sin, and in his resurrection from the dead. Because quite honestly, he is the one that you were made for. And that's the only way into the family of God. For the rest of you, listen up. Because we're about to have an in-house family discussion about how we change. Okay? Stand with me if you would, in honor of God's word. Let's hear what God has to say to all of us today about how we change and who is the one who changes us. Listen, this is the word of God. It is true, it is life-giving, and it is our only rule and authority in life. You ready? Here we go. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to come today, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak into the dark recesses of our hearts. Illuminate our souls with the power of your gospel, for it is truly good news. Do this so that we can all lean into the freedom that we have through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Let let none of us leave here unchanged. Give me strength to speak your words of truth today. I'm weak and I am in need of your grace and your mercy. In the great and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Listen, it might surprise you, but uh, we're going to look at this passage in three ways. I got to take one from Rick's book, right? He's, He's good at that. And so we're going to look at, uh, at this section. We're going to look at God's work. We're going to look at our mistakes. And then we're going to look at our work or how we put it into effect. All right? Listen, people never want to stay the same, right? We all have stuff that we don't like about ourselves. Just look around the world. I mean, we, we all, people are always wanting to change. And that's why we, we make resolutions. We just made a few. I guarantee you, every single one of us made some resolution this past January. We go to gyms, we seek counseling, we read every self-help book that we can find because we want to break bad habits. We want change, but how do we change? And maybe you're here this morning asking just that very question, how do I change? Here's what the passage tells us. Paul says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. Now, as we begin to talk about change, a warning needs to be given from the start. This passage is going to set out a greater change, a greater change than you could have ever hoped or imagined for. But it may also be more than you bargained for in terms of change. And so the warning is this We always bend to God, God doesn't bend to us. And so you thought, 
If you're honest, if you, you thought when you started the Christian life, if you're a Christian here today, that you just needed a little change. You just wanted some help with feeling angry all the time or to stop looking at pornography. You wanted to stop hating men or maybe objectifying women. You wanted to stop yelling at your kids or hating your boss. You weren't looking for your whole life to be reoriented. You just wanted to feel better about yourself. and Maybe more than you bargained for, right? If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time. And yet, realize this. Maybe it is possible for you to change one of those small areas in your life. Maybe you can do it for a season. Uh, but maybe you can't. And so no matter the case, according to the scriptures, if all you're trying to do is change one habit, you're aiming way too low. If you're trying to change one habit, you're aiming way too low. All of us, all of us need transformation of our character that goes far deeper than just some simple habits. Changing, however difficult those habits uh, might be in our lives, uh, we can't do on our own. The transformation that Paul is calling us to today will not come about from sheer force of will. It will require your effort. We're going to talk about that later. But first, it requires the very work of God. Look at our text. Listen, it says this. Continue to work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, two things jump out about how we change from this passage. First, if we're going to change deeply and radically, God needs to be at work in our lives. If we're going to change deeply and radically, God needs to be at work in our lives. And then secondly, being aware that God is at work in our lives, we're called to strive with all of our effort to change as well, working out what God is working in. Okay, working out what God is already working in. Now, God being at work in us uh, is a clear and ringing affirmation of the scriptures. He's not distant. He's not far away. God instead is intensely, intensely relational and intimately involved in the details of our lives. And even if you don't feel that, and sometimes, let's be honest, we don't. And even if you don't believe in him, he's still involved in your life. And it's true that most of us, most of us are oblivious most of the time to the ways that God is working in our lives. Some people, some people are oblivious all the time, right? We know a few of those. But our blindness to his work is neither here nor there. He is at work all the same. And we don't have to like it. We don't have to believe it. But it is true. Much like the fact that we don't see the wind, uh, but we do feel it and we see its effects. Or the radio waves that's bouncing around this building right now. Signals hidden from our eyes, causing your cell phones to work. In the same way, God is working in our world, often in hidden ways. Often in ways that are obscured from our lives. And yet by his word and power, he is sustaining the world. and He's sustaining everything in it and giving you and me right now at this very moment, every single breath that we take. But what is even more clear from this passage is that God is at work in a unique way. God is at work in a unique way in the lives of his own people. Those upon whom he has given the gift of salvation. And so we're going to talk about salvation because that's a, it's a funky word. And sometimes we forget what it means. And we get, particularly in this passage, 
uh, all bogged down when it says work out. So listen to what Paul says. Paul says work out your salvation. Salvation is the work that both we and God are said to be about. This is what Paul's calling us to. Now, as I said, salvation sounds like a slick Christian word, doesn't it? Salvation. What does the Bible mean when it says salvation? What is it? I bet you you all have 18 different versions of what you think salvation is. But what does the scripture say? It's certainly a word that mystifies a lot of us. Essentially, salvation is this. It's a picture word, right? It's a picture word that refers to a rescue. A rescue from a state of misery and jeopardy into a state of safety. We're all drowning men and women going down a third time and we desperately need someone to dive into the water and save us before we die. We need rescuing. But that begs a question, what are we rescued from? If you're thinking at all, check in with me here. What are you rescued from? What are we saved from? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we're rescued from our sin. Our alienation from God. That's all sin is. It's our alienation and betrayal of God. We're rescued from the misery our betrayal of God caused to him and to others. So you have to understand what sin has done to all of us. Sin has bred devastation in our own lives. It's wrecked havoc on everything that we try to do in life and every relationship that we have. It's from sin and its consequences that we need to be saved. Sin, think of it this way, sin is this great anti-creation force. It's an anti-creation force. It seeks to destroy God's good creation. It's the default nature we're all born with that causes us to try and take God's place. It says, I want to be God. Always tries to do great damage to our lives and to other people. And it seeks to destroy his good purposes in the world. It's a deadly virus. Deep in our bones. It's contagious and it mocks everything good, noble, and beautiful. It pollutes and tears creation apart. It enslaves us and it dehumanizes us. Augustine said this about sin. He said, sin becomes sin's own punishment. Sin becomes sin's own punishment. And even though we want to break free from it all the time, we rage against it, we're unable to do so. And the irony is this. We're God's masterpieces. He created us in his image. We are the apexes of his creation. And yet we faded. We faded from the original beauty of what God intended us to be. And if we could see the original masterpiece that we, we now see in the mirror, especially if we could see our own hearts, we would convulse in horror. But maybe it's easier for you to see the horror in other people's lives. Maybe that's where you fall on the side of things. People whose lives are, are filled with ugliness and hatred, where there is obvious self-destruction taking place, like drug addiction and premarital sex. Or maybe it's greedy Wall Street types and status-absorbed soccer moms. But, it's, but if you're honest with yourselves, the same horror that you see in those people that I see in other people, the same horror often goes undetected in my own life and in your life. But good Christians, we, we have this great way of covering up all that so that nobody really sees that, right? We don't act or live 
like other people do. We're, we think, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're better. And that's because we're master makeup artists. We're, we're able to disguise it and to hide it from others and ourselves. We clean up pretty nice. Look across this room. Most of us look about the same. We clean up pretty nice, do we not? We go to our jobs, we pay our taxes, we come home, and we want more things, more stuff to make us feel better. But the truth is for all of us that sin is this great creation force that we've unleashed in our own lives. And that's where God steps in. I I harped on the bad side of things because you need to understand what you're saved from so you don't think too highly of yourself. Uh, This is where God steps in with his plan, a plan that he calls salvation. And salvation, it's a recreation force. If sin is this anti-creation force, salvation is a recreation force. This is the good news. Salvation is God's plan to reconcile us to himself and to rehumanize us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the change that Paul is talking about here in Philippians. It's to make us richly and robustly human again the way that we were intended to be. Because we've fallen far from where we originally intended to be. Whereas sin put us to death, salvation puts sin to death along with all of its consequences, so that a new goodness, a new creation can break forth and blaze from within our lives. Now this work of salvation, according to this passage, is God's work to initiate. God's work to initiate. He is the one who begins it. He inaugurates it. And He completes it. He is the one who has the priority and the primacy in this work of salvation. It's completely his work. Don't fool yourself into thinking you have anything to do with it. We only work at it and continue in it because of his actions and his works in us. We only work at it and continue in our salvation because of God's actions and God's work through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus in us. Because I already talked about it, right? We were dead to sin. We can't bring ourselves back to life. Only Jesus can. As Rick often says, dead people can't make themselves alive again. If it's going to happen, God must do it. And if we're going to become alive to God again, God is the one that needs to make us alive. And he has done just that through his son, Jesus. Through his work on the cross, he has accomplished our salvation He's lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died for our sins. He was raised to new life in order that we too might be raised to new life. It is the finished work of Christ on the cross plus nothing that is the sole basis of our salvation. He gives us a new heart that is now bent towards him instead of away from him. It begins with God's grace. I just I can't hammer that point enough. It begins with God's grace. All right, so God works. It begins with His grace. But what we're often less clear about in our Christian life, if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, is, is His continuing in His grace. Continuing in His grace. And so, if it's a free gift in the giving, what about the continuing? Let's look uh, at a couple of our mistakes. If it's a free gift in the giving, what about the continuing? All right, mistake number one. We, 
we have two mistakes, and we end up doing the same thing to both of the mistakes. They're just kind of nuanced. Uh, first thing is, is that we forget about his continuing grace. We forget about his continuing grace. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that we forget this all the time, don't we? And this is where many of us misstep, and we make a mistake in our Christian life. And it robs us of our joy. Forgetting God's continuing grace in our life robs us of our joy that he gives us. You see, most of us will say, yes, God has initiated the Christian life for me. But then we quickly say, but it's up to me to continue. It's up to me to continue in my Christian life. He works, but then I work. He has brought me into a state of acceptance in his presence. But it's up to my work. It's up to my performance. And if I'm to remain in that state of acceptance, I've got to work hard. I guess that could be one way to take this passage when when Paul says, work out your salvation. But I think it's wrong. You see, if that's all that grace is, it's not grace at all. God has just elevated you to a new level of misery if that's what grace is. You have to keep on working in order to maintain God's favor in your life. And that's not, God, that's not grace at all. God's grace continually sustains us and continually keeps us in a place of acceptance regardless of our performance or apart from anything that we do. If it doesn't do that, it's not grace. If it doesn't do that, it's not grace. It's another system of law. It's another system of our own works and our own efforts required to keep us in God's presence standing fast. As one writer has said, he said this, we, we need to realize that our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And also our best days are never so good that we're beyond the need of God's grace. We're never beyond the reach of God's grace and we're never beyond the need of God's grace. And so that's one of the mistakes we make in order to keep ourselves in acceptance before God. We forget. We forget about his continual grace. And we try to work harder. Now much like forgetting, mistake number two, much like forgetting his grace and trying to do all the work ourselves, we often believe that though God initiated our life of salvation, that we need to work hard to continue in the change, the growth. We make the change. And we, we, we think that, that our salvation is our work. And we make the same mistake twice, just in a different way. We think we're in charge of the change that takes place in our life. We must do it on our own. God may have saved me, but it's up to me to see it through. And if that's the case, then our relationship to God... I like football, so it's something like the relationship between a quarterback and a halfback, if you follow me for a second, right? The quarterback hands off the ball, and now the quarterback has done his job. He stands on the sideline, though, in this scenario, and he doesn't go out and throw a block for his halfback. He doesn't get behind him and try to push him through a difficult part of the line. Instead, he goes to the side, and he watches it from a distance, and he says, do it on your own. Maybe he cheers, but that's all he does at best. But if that's the way the Christian life is meant to be lived, man, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on us, doesn't it? If that's true, that's weighty. 
That means that, that you and me are in charge, that, that we're in charge of the change that takes place in our life. And for me, that is a terrible thought. I mean, honestly, I, I cannot imagine a worse person to be in charge of the change in my life. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, I, I have seen, oh, just, I mean, I've, I've been up for just a couple hours and I can already know what I've done this morning. I, I know that I am weak to change. I've seen, in fact, how many times that even though I know what the right thing to do is, I know what the right thing to do is, I run. I run in the opposite direction. And if I'm in charge, I'm afraid my only real options are panic and despair when it comes to real change in my life. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. Fortunately, fortunately, that's not what this passage teaches at all. It says instead... That God's in charge. God's in charge of the change in your life. That's very freeing. You should like read that every day and go, God, you are in charge of the change in my life. I'm free to live the life that you have made me for. And any change that takes place comes as his gift to you. Yes, it does say work out your salvation. Don't freak out. It does say that. But notice, notice what it sends, says immediately after that. Because this is the key to it all. It gives the reason for why you are to work out your salvation. It says this, because it is God who is at work in you. God who is at work in you. His work in you has the priority. God's working is the cause of our working. God's working is the cause of our working. You can't do it apart from him. It is the motive and means of our change. It's not a matter of 50-50 proposition where we do part of the work and God does part of the work. According to Paul here, it's God's work that underlies every aspect of our work that we do. He works all the way, all the time. And so it's not only in justification, and that's some fancy Christian word for a right standing with God... That comes to us by grace. Justification, standing right before God, comes to us by grace. We talked about that in the salvation part. But sanctification, another fancy church word for a change in our character that makes us more like Christ, comes through his grace as well. And it's completely and utterly the work of God's grace. The change of lifestyle that salvation is supposed to bring is a gift from God. And it brings us an acceptance before him. See, if you really belong to him, if you're a Christian here today, what this means is this. God will really change you. He will really change you. Just look back to how long, whether it's been a week, five minutes, or 50 years, how long you've been walking with Jesus. You know that he has changed you. It might be slowly. It might be not on your time schedule. But God is the one who changes you. He really will. It may not be, if you're really honest, not in the way that you originally wanted, like we talked about, that little habit change. But he does change us. And you can't ever thwart his purposes. You should rest in that. That's not a, that's not a threat. That's a gift. That's a resting thing. God will change you, and you can't change his purposes. Because he's God. We're not. That, that, that's, that should, it should be very comforting for you. The change that happens in the Christian life is by his grace... It's under his grace, and it's never beyond his grace, okay? It's, it's, uh, it's by his grace, it's under his grace, 
And it's never beyond His grace. All right, let's look at our work. Let's see how we put it into effect. So check back in. If you're falling asleep, I'm sorry. We're almost done. Uh, But check back in. Is it warm in here? Is it just me? All right, all right. I'm sweating already, but I always sweat. All right. I thought it was just standing in front of you. Um, all right, our work. Let's see how we put it into effect. It's always good to name the th- the elephant in the room. It's really hot, so everybody knows, and now we can we can get over it. All right, Paul writes this. Let's look down in your in your passage here. Uh, Paul writes this: Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And we've read this verse couple times and now we added a new part listen like i've said not to belabor the point but it's 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 crucial so we're forgetful people and we need to remember it this has nothing to do paul is not saying this this has nothing to do with working for your salvation you cannot work for your salvation and i think that's what scares us right for honest when we look at this passage it's scary because if you read it on first glance it says i got to work for my salvation? It, it doesn't make any sense. And when I first looked at it, I got a little scared too, right? When I was first studying, I was like, gosh, is Paul contradicting himself? No. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's mystifying. It is a mystery. We're finite. God's infinite. We don't have to know everything. We can almost rest in the beauty of that. It's tremendous to know everything. We'd be crushed under the weight of it. Uh, but Paul... He's not contradicting himself. In fact, he's making it crystal clear uh, in this section of Scripture and all of his other letters and the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that we are saved by grace alone. What Paul is saying here is this, though. Put it into effect. Put it into effect. Work out what God has worked in. Work out what God has worked in. Let your salvation that God has put into you Come into full expression over the course of your life. Let it manifest itself in your life and in the world and in relationships you have with your kids and your wives and your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors. Live a life that is in keeping with the life that Jesus lived. Because he enables you to have change in your life that is in keeping with his purposes and his law. You see... When you have the order right, when you see God's work underlies your work, my work, our work, that gives us the ability to both rely on God and the freedom and the hope to live for God in the effort that we put into change that he's already working out into us. And I know it sounds, listen, it sounds weird, does it not? When it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a mystery. But it reminds me of the Israelite armies. If you know a little bit about the Old Testament, there were lots of wars and uh, lots of armies. And the odds were always stacked against the Israelites in numerous wars in the Old Testament. They were, they were, all, <laughs> they were outmanned. They were outgunned against most of the armies that they went up against. And yet... If you read it, they went out with full confidence and effort. Why? Why would they do that? They're completely outnumbered. Why would they do that? Because God had already told them that he was going to accomplish his purposes for them. They were going to win and that he was going to be at work. 
He was going ahead of them and behind them. And so this knowledge freed them to both rely on God and to give their full effort in these battles where the odds were stacked against them. That's Old Testament. You might have glazed over with me there. So think about a time in your own life instead where, where, the, where you moved into a situation that was seemingly impossible. We've all had them. Where it was seemingly impossible. And yet, because God was working in you, you had the confidence in God to trust and obey that he was going to finish what he promised. And so you had to hang on for dear life uh, and, and sort of ride the wave. But he carried you through to the end. And one Christian writer said this. We have the confidence to attempt great things for God because we have the confidence to expect great things from God. We can attempt great things for God because we can expect, because we have confidence in Him because of His promises to us. So we can expect great things from God. Now, would you dare dream? Would you dare dream and trust that God could do something great in your life or in, in this city for that matter? Because you believe that God was already at work and that his work girded every aspect of your work? If you risk that, and it's going to take a risk, if you risk that, it sets you free, sets you free from the fear of failure as you try to change because that failure says nothing about you. Because Jesus says, you're mine. You're, you're my adopted kid. And I love you and accept you. And so you don't have to fear the failure anymore. Now, this passage does speak of a fear that accompanies our work. We can't gloss over that. Right? It says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And a lot of us stumble here. It's like, what does he mean by this fear and trembling? And I'm supposed to be working in my salvation. And I don't have a clue. I think this is what Paul means. And, and it's, I'm, I'm not a learned fellow. So for me, I, I try to make it pretty simple. Live it out. Live out our salvation that God has already put in us with a sense of respect, reverence, and awe that God is already at work in your life. That's what fear and trembling means. Work out the salvation that God is already working in you with a sense of respect, with a sense of reverence and all that he is already at work in your life. Because if you're in Christ here today, the very spirit of God lives within you. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside you right now. And stop and think on that the next time that you're confronted with change in your life. Stand before that reality in awe. Stand before that reality with reverence. Tremble before the amazing Spirit of God who lives inside you and live in keeping with Him. So for change to take place, God must work, and we must work what God is already working in us. This great mystery. All right, we're going to end up here. I like this. Moving right along. All right. Hopefully this has been clear. As we wrap up, I wonder, though, I wonder, though, if some of us are asking, because I, I asked it when I, when I was planning this, um, that's all well and good, Jason. It's great for you to stand up here and say these things. Uh, but how does it all look 
when, when we're living it out in our own lives, like the practical nitty-gritty, how do I believe this? How do I live this out? And some of you have been thinking, hey, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've struggled with for the last 10 years, the bondage or shame that I feel. You're right. You don't know my life either. I don't know yours, but God knows both of ours. And he loves us. If we're in Christ, he loves us and he accepts us anyway because of the finished work of Jesus. That's what we have to rest in. And so we need to recognize that the work of change is hard work, but it's not self-reliance. This is the key. This is where we fall all the time. It's not self-reliance. You know, working in our own strength apart from God. We can do nothing apart from God is what scripture says. And it's not passive either, waiting around and saying, oh, well, you know, God's going to do what he'll do, so I'm just going to keep on trucking. I, I fall on that side of the camp if you know me. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a younger brother. If you use some of these Christian words, I'm not an older brother. So I often fall on, hey, God's going to do whatever he does, so I don't really have to change. Um, but that's a lie too. Just, just like self-reliance, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, good old American way is, is, is a lie. So is passivity, waiting around for God, and you don't have to do anything. Uh, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Instead, instead, here's the good news of the gospel. I hope that you hear God whisper to you today through the power of his word, I work in you. I work in you. God works in you first to save and then to complete. If you were here today, if you are his today, start there. Pray for God to make that truth that he is at work in you a felt reality in your life. Re- run to him, run to him and cry out. He already knows and he's already working, whether you believe it or not. So why hide anymore? And then, then take a risk. Go and share your life with others. That's risky. You were designed, though, to work out your salvation in community. You can't do it by yourself. And so that's why we have small group ministry here. And I encourage you, if you're not in one, get involved in a small group. Grab a drink or a coffee uh, with a friend and open up and share your struggles and your desire for change in your life. You can't do it on your own. You need others. And ask that good friend of yours to pray for you and to hold you accountable to the change that God is already doing in you. But for those of us, or for those of you who are not a Christian here today, all you have to do is this. Uh, Recognize your need for Christ. Recognize your need for Jesus. Fall on your knees and ask to receive the forgiveness and change that he freely gives and a new life as his adopted child through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Start there. Don't try to change on your own. I'm telling you, from one who's tried, it doesn't work. You can't. Instead, run to Jesus. Rest in him alone. Not in your good works or your feelings of shame because you've done horrible things. Rest in Christ alone. Because he is faithful. He is faithful to his promise to change you. And to give you the strength to work for his good pleasure. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the opportunity 
to just let the Word of God do what it does, which is change people. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you might stir up in our hearts now what needs to be stirred up for life change. There has been much said in multiple different directions. And I pray more and more that here at Holy Cross that we would gladly look inside ourselves to see what what we're walking in obedience to you in, how you're changing us. And then beg for more change. For you are the only one who can do it. Jesus, you have completely justified us by your finished work on the cross. You are perfecting us by your glorious gospel. It's all of grace from beginning to end. We who've been declared righteous will be made perfectly holy, O blessed and happy hope. One day we will be as lovely and as loving as you, Lord Jesus. And there is no greater longing, joy, or future. May the joy of this good news buckle our knees in humble adoration and empower our hands for neighborly love. As we are loved, so let us love. As we have been served, so let us serve. As we are encouraged, so let us encourage one another. As we long for the day of all things new in your return. And so we pray all these things in your holy and loving name. Amen.